should be in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, before we get uh, started, uh, every time I, I teach this class, there, there are just tons and tons of questions turned in about uh, discipline. And so, I mean, those, I mean, I basically save until we get to uh, the section we teach in discipline, which we're going to start uh, today. But uh, normally, I can just do, you know, four or five questions and that sort of ends up covering, if not directly, indirectly, all the questions that got turned in. In this particular case, there's just a real wide variety of things that were turned in, and I'm going to take the time uh, to, to answer those just because uh, I think all this practical application of what we're talking about uh, I think is really helpful and it's worth our, our time. Uh, question number one, how soon should I step in if kids are not resolving their dispute? Uh, if you remember that the, this question comes from the fact that I had suggested that you mostly let your kids settle their disputes. Uh, whenever possible, we should let our kids resolve their own disputes. It's good for them to learn they cannot rely on you to resolve all their disputes in life. Uh, in fact, some adults, they've never learned that, and they still hop in in the middle of their adult children's disputes. Uh, always step in if there's some kind of genuine abuse going on. Always step in if someone is genuinely in physical danger. I mean, ask yourself some questions. Is there any real danger? Is the situation escalating? Uh, one of the quickest ways to isolate your children uh, from uh, other children is for you to get in the middle of their business all the time. Uh, now, now, kids, I think when, when a situation is genuinely escalated, you know, they may not like it, but they, for the most part, appreciate somebody coming in. But when uh, it's not like that, uh, you will really, really isolate your child. And that's especially true uh, when your children get to be, be teenagers. And so, you know, you want to be careful about deciding to step in. Uh, sometimes your child needs to have some social pressure. <laughs> you know, we, we don't, uh, because of bullying, and I'm against every kind of bullying, but I, I think there's a kind of a social pressure that does help us knock some of the rough edges off our personality and, and our habits and, and things like that. And so some amount of that is good to a point. So uh, generally speaking, uh, as parents, when our kid is causing the problem, um, we step in too late. And when our kid is receiving, uh, we step in too soon. And so if you just remember that basic principle, it, it will probably help you know uh, what to do. Question number two, how do you start a conversation about homosexuality? Our child has regular interaction with several. Uh, there, there's probably not a, a, a single family here who doesn't in some way in the circle of your life and in, in your family have someone who's uh, you know, a homosexual or a, a lesbian. Uh, and the first thing I would say is, don't bother bringing this up unless your children are older. You know, uh, at some point, you know, they're going to get old enough and they're going to ask a couple questions, and, and you need to be ready for that. But, you know, why is Uncle Bob holding hands with that boy? You, you, you know, they're going to ask some questions. But, you know, most kids, they're really, really clueless. And, you know, if you're in an environment where all kinds of public homosexual and lesbian uh, affection is on display. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, why am I in this environment? But, you know, unless it's like that, I mean, be age appropriate. 
Make the Bible the final authority for your morality. Make sure you include clear instruction of how that you are not supposed to be kind or, uh, or un, you're not supposed to be unkind or angry at, at anybody. You know, but make clear what the Bible teaches about this moral issue. You know, it is a great life lesson for our children, and sometimes adults haven't learned it yet, that it is perfectly acceptable to love somebody and respect somebody and strongly and vehemently disagree with some part of their behavior or their belief system. I mean, that is an adult mentality, and and some adults don't have it. And it's good to teach our children uh, this. Take a stand for Bible morality as soon as your child becomes aware of moral choices. Um, I would also uh, recommend extra caution uh, having my kids around people who have some kind of sexual perversion. And, um, you know, you may or may not like this because it's maybe somebody dear to you, but listen, somebody who accepts one kind of sexual perversion is very easy for them to be involved in other kinds of sexual perversion. Protect your children. Um, Question number three, I'm socially awkward and struggle to have healthy interactions with others. How can I give my kids a healthy example? Uh, I would start by just simply remembering the fact that uh, God chose you to be the parent of that child. And he knew your strengths and weaknesses. Just like God chose that child to be raised by you. Uh, with their strengths and weaknesses. So if you simply remember that, I mean, it will help you uh, just keep your head above water and your chin up and and know that God chose you for this. And what I would say, make the best effort to possibly face this weakness in yourself. Make the situation a matter of prayer. Uh, Trust the Lord with your best effort uh, in this area of your life. Uh, When they get older, Uh, don't hesitate in some private conversation with them to just say, you know what, this is an area of life I struggle with. And um, that will help them just to simply understand that. It is a really hard thing to do as a human being, but to become comfortable in our own skin is is just a great victory in in life. To be comfortable with what you are, to be comfortable with what you're not, to, to have areas of life where you're really just working on, but just, man, they're just still not what they should be, you know, um, to, to become more comfortable in your skin will really help you parent uh, your children and help them to get to that place sooner in, in their life. Uh, listen, it would be nice if we were all great at everything, uh, but nobody is. And so just help your kids to uh, see you yield every area of your life to Christ. Question four, how can we convince our children to behave well and respect others when their peers don't? Uh, We have years to teach them the standard for comparison is Jesus Christ and the laws of God rather than peers in the world or in the church. I mean, part of uh, the life lesson in a situation like this is, is teaching your children that you know, it's okay to be different and better, but not snobbish. You know, there's something distinctly wrong when we're a follower of Jesus and we don't live a life that's distinct and better than a world that doesn't know Jesus. That there's something wrong with that. Just like there's something wrong with living better and being a snob and a snoot and condescending. Uh, if you teach them to have their standards of behavior from the Scriptures... 
you know what? Um, this is what's going to happen. And the more they will differ from other people. Don't resort to teaching your kids to fit in with, with others. Teach them to follow Christ and learn how to fit in with people who are different. Uh, by the way, just let me give uh, one kind of caveat to that. Don't use your Christianity as, as an excuse to be genuinely weird. And um, there's, there's, that's, it's just a different thing. You know, you don't have to, to be genuinely weird. We are going to be different for Christ, but you don't have to be weird. Uh, question number five, how do I as a parent make up for years lost to my example of bad temper? Uh, first, I would just thank God that you come to your senses while your children are still at home instead of later. If they're old enough to understand, uh, sit them down, apologize, explain to them how the Lord's been working in your heart and in your life uh, about this issue, and then let them watch and see you do better. Um... You know, uh, I think it's good to have some trigger words w- with you and your spouse. Uh, for instance, and we'll talk about this more when we get into discipline, me and Sharon w- would say, are you sure you want to do that? Which told me that, okay, that she didn't really want to think I should do what I, what I was about to do. Now, sometimes I still did it, but it was a trigger word to help me sometimes pause. The other thing to do, help yourself by, and again, we'll talk about this more later, have some kind of a pause always between uh, when you uh, actually discipline your children and, you know, what they did, you know, uh, gives you a chance to think. I mean, we always, the first thing, the first response, go to our bedroom, all right? Uh, And then you have whatever time it takes you to get there, not only for them to think about what happened and to begin to make excuses, and, but it gives you time to think and, and to pause. As we learn in this discipline, it's just never good to discipline your children in anger. And if you're not qu- trying to stop that, you know, there, there's something wrong with the way you're thinking about this. Question six, my spouse is a yeller and I am not. But now our children only respond to yelling. How do we fix this? Uh... To what first, to what degree you can. I mean, talk to your spouse privately uh, about this and um, try to help them with it. As I mentioned earlier, have some trigger word or phrase that, you know, may not mean anything to your children, but means something to you and your, your spouse. Uh, the main thing I would say is this. As a parent, you should never just be a talker. You know, you need to really strive to become a parent who is a parent of action. And when you're a parent who's a talker, you know, you keep saying things and saying things, and you keep getting louder every time you say them. And when you don't do anything, most of the time, it's no wonder your kids don't modify their behavior. You know, you need to become a person of action, where when you say things once in a normal tone of voice, if they don't do what you just said, something happens every time. And because we don't discipline like that, people become yellers, and that's and just not wise. Um, question number seven, uh, how do you explain to your children why their grandparents are not around? Well, I first, I wouldn't explain anything to them until they're old enough to start noticing and asking why someone's not around. You know, so often, I mean, we, we put adult um, understanding of situations on children, 
uh, mean for years you'll just simply be able to say, well, Grandpa couldn't be here today. And that'll be fine for them. Now, there's going to come a point when you'll have to explain that, you know, whatever the reason is, but the older they are, the better understanding they'll have. And again, you, you simply teach them that, you know what, I can love my grandfather uh, and completely disagree with his behavior and priorities. And again, that, that's Christianity. That's, that's how we parent our children. Um, question number eight, how do we best teach our children to continue building relationships with elderly grandparents if something happened to me? Uh, first, you need to stop worrying about things you can't control and, and just trust God with your future and, and their future. You know, the best you're going to ever do is model what it means to have a healthy relationship and teach them what it means to have a healthy relationship with family. Pray for them. You know, when you live a life that's a victorious Christian life, you beautify a way of living that your children will someday want. When you make the Christian life ugly, I mean, you walk into the church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then you go home and your kids watch you yell at each other and mistreat each other and treat each other unkindly, you've just made the most important issue in life an ugly thing. And uh, you need to stop that. Question number nine, my spouse is not a believer and behaves really badly when they lose their temper. I'm worried about the example my children see. And always worry first and foremost about the one person in this world you can't control. And that's never your spouse. You know, you, you just start there, control yourself. I'll pray hard for your spouse in this. Have private conversations with them about this. Listen, even lost people understand the importance of family and example. I mean, those are not spiritual things in themselves. Um, uh, over the course of time, here's what's going to happen. If you're under control, living a victorious Christian life, you're saved. Your spouse is not saved. They're living out of control. Eventually, your children are going to say, wow, I wonder why this one's this way and this one's that way. And you beautify the choice of following Jesus. You know, when Christian people act like lost people at home, I mean, what's the point of having faith? I mean, really, people. I mean, honestly. I, I get none of us are perfect, but, but there, there, there's way we re, ways we respond when we fail. Uh, question 10, my spouse feels the need to buy our kids something every time we go to the store. I don't like this, but don't know how to resolve it. Control the person you can control in this world. That's you. Uh, and then I personally, I mean, I think that's a very harmful behavior. I mean, extremely harmful behavior. Uh, your children should instead be learning that it is okay to go places and get nothing, and it's okay for them to go places and get nothing when someone else gets something. Welcome to life. I mean, you buy your kids something every time you go to the store, you are ill-preparing them for the future. You might as well just mark it down. I'm going to teach my children to run their credit cards up and have bad finances and be an idiot all their life. And if you think that's an exaggeration, if the Lord tarries, we'll see how it turns out in 20 years. Um, you need to privately sit down and have a conversation with your spouse, clearly and lovingly. 
If they refuse to change their uh, behavior after some thoughtful conversations, follow God's order in the home. If it's the husband doing this, the wife should express her objections, and then he's going to do what he's going to do. If it's the wife doing this, then the husband should express what he wants as the leader of the house, and then she's going to do what she's going to do. And I'm going to tell you what, God will take care of what needs to be done. You know, that's just the way it works. And uh, if this is destroying your family budget, then what you need to do is you need to get some outside counselors involved. And uh, generally speaking, when someone refuses to get outside counsel, it just simply means I'm going to do what I want to do. It doesn't matter. And sadly, that happens sometimes. Please don't be that person. Question number 11. My kids have been separating from friends, making bad choices uh, these are friends they've had for years. How can they win their friends if they're not around them anymore? Uh, first, separation from sin in the world under God is a clear, strong, biblical doctrine, whether we like it or not. Uh, here, here's a hard thing to, to face as a parent. Kids don't... Kids that are in the world, they're really not choosing what they're going to be until 14 or 15. Kids in the church, a lot of times, it's not till 16 or 17 or 18. And everybody here is an adult, and you understand what I say when I say, do you know what? It is a part of life that people's lives go in different directions. Every one of us can look back and say, do you know what? I at one time was close to this person. Their life went that way. My life went this way. Now, it's not always good and bad. Just, just sometimes it's just different directions. And you need to be okay for that to happen in your children's lives. And to just insist that, well, because this person has been a friend for five years, but now they're living like the devil, my kid needs to stay close to them. I mean, that's not good advice. I mean, if somebody's life is going in in a different direction, yes, you're still warm to them. Yes, you're still kind to them. But you know what? You have to reach them uh, from a distance. Listen, you can't lift anybody out of the sewer when you're in the sewer. You've got to be standing on the sidewalk to pick somebody up out of the sewer. Uh, encourage your children to be separate and strong for Christ. Encourage them to be kind and warm to everyone. By the way, I don't believe we ever win anybody when we behave like them. I also don't believe we ever win anybody when we're condescending and mean and angry at their behavior. Um, I know that's a lot of questions. Uh, but I felt like those were just a wide variety of things that we'd already talked about, so I went ahead and I took the time for that, even though we don't have that much time. Uh, Our quote for the week, uh, not always serious, is this, having children doesn't make you a good parent any more than having a piano makes you a good pianist. Some thoughts to think about uh, when it comes to parenting. Number one, purposely build up rightful authorities and examples, especially the other parent. Number two, never publicly ridicule or destroy the other parent, especially if a divorce has occurred. Number three, don't micromanage every incident in your child's life, uh, especially as your children get older. And we are on week five of uh, 12 weeks together on this subject. I don't have all the answers. I'm not pretending to have all the answers. Uh, all I'm just, uh, I mean, we raised three sons. 
Uh, I've seen a lot. I was a youth leader for 20 years. I'm a people watcher. I'm a, a recipe watcher. Okay, they do this. How's that turn out? That, that's the way I, I'm wired. Uh, and so I, I just I want to help you to whatever degree I can and to whatever degree you'll let me uh, help you. And uh, we, of course, when it comes to parenting, we begin with the Bible because God really does know more about what produces a better life for my child than I do. And uh, today we're going to start uh, what is a more controversial subject, but it's not controversial because of the clarity of the Scriptures. It's controversial because... Um, in our culture, at this time, our culture has a very unbiblical viewpoint of this issue. It's controversial because a lot of parents, uh, they have pain and regrets with this issue from themselves growing up. Sometimes it was misuse of authority by someone who handled discipline abusively on you. Sometimes it was a lack of a stable relationship between your parents. And it makes it hard for you to be as tough as you need to be because you're afraid you'll be rejected by your children. So, sometimes uh, it's you had difficulty having children. Or your children have uh, some special needs. And because of that difficulty starting up and those differences, you know what, it, it makes it hard for you to be as tough as you need to be sometimes. Sometimes you grew up and you had a complete lack of discipline in your home and you have no idea what it even means to be properly disciplined. Sometimes adults are so busy at work and life that they feel guilty that they're not with their kids more and so when they are with their kids, they don't discipline them. Sometimes... um, it's a divided home, and there is an ex involved and uh, non-biological parents, and it's really hard for you to have faith and toughness because you're afraid of what your ex may say or do or that your child later may just choose to live with them. Listen, it's a tough issue. And so we're going to begin on this issue with the greatest example of a parent, which is God our Father. Uh, And so this week, what I plan to do, and I've only got about 16 minutes, is to lay this foundation uh, for what the Scriptures teach about discipline, and then we'll spend two weeks together on practical applications of of these uh, principles. And I I know that uh, there's a lot of people, what you want, you want me to jump right into these practical applications. But I think part of our problem is, is because we don't understand why we should do what we do, we fail to do it. And so rather than me standing up here and talking about what first, I'm going to talk about why first, because then we are more open uh, to what when we understand the why. Um, and I, listen, I get that this is hard. We don't get to parent in a bubble. And, and the fact of the matter is, it's not simply that how we handle our children as Christians is different from how the world handles their children. How we handle our children as Christians is different oftentimes from the way other Christian parents handle their children. And so, 
we're going to lay down these principles. And, uh, you know, the average parent feels like that uh, because I am the authority and I'm bigger, therefore I have the right to do whatever I want. And I just want to say, yes, you are the parent and you may or may not be bigger and that may not last. And yes, you do have authority from God, but God did not give you authority as parents over your own children to do what you want to do. He gave you authority over your own children to do what he wants done. The story told about a, a church had a little boy that showed up uh, visiting. No identification, came into the kindergarten class. The teacher did manage to get this little boy's first name. It was Brian. Couldn't get the last name out of him. Couldn't get his parents' names out of him, but this teacher wanted to be able to talk to the parents, and so she kind of had a scheme, and so she said, well, what's your daddy's name? And the little boy said, well, daddy. He said, well, what's your mama's name? He said, mama. And then the teacher, all of a sudden, a light went on, and so she says, well, what does your daddy call your mama? And the little boy just smiled and said, hey, babe. <laughs> You know, kids are not always going to respond the way we want them to respond or the way we expect them to respond. And so we need some kind of a plan of what we're going to do when that happens. It is going to happen. Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth, what's the next word there? Every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Uh, we'll stop there. Uh, did you notice in verse 6, because I paused there, that God scourges every son, every child. He disciplines. And in verse 7, if we are not disciplined by God, then we're not really his child. Uh, just like we don't discipline the neighbor's kids because they're not our kids. Uh, God doesn't handle people who are not his children like he handles his children. And if God doesn't discipline you, then it means you're not really saved. You're not, he's not your father. Um, in verse 10, God always chastens. You can see the reason God chastens his children. It says, for he, for our profit. God always chastens his children for their profit, unlike our earthly parents did at times. Uh, God's chastening is not pleasant. Verse 11 says it's not joyous, it is grievous. And in the end, do you notice what God's discipline yields? The peaceable fruit of righteousness has a good end, though it's grievous while it's going on. So there's three basic Bible principles there for uh, discipline uh, if we're going to imitate our Father. Here's 
the first one. Number one, if God disciplines his children, we should discipline ours. If we don't discipline our children, we're not much like our Heavenly Father. I've had parents say, well, I love my children too much to discipline them. Well, you don't love them like God loves his. A, you don't love them as much, and B, if you don't discipline them, it's not the same kind of love. Because the God who is love disciplines his children. It is not more loving than neglect discipline. By the way, I'm not suggesting you flaunt the more aggressive aspects of your discipline in the grocery store. I'm just saying that none of us are a better parent than God is, and he disciplines his children. By the way, God has a lot of ways he disciplines his children, and we should too. And if the only thing that comes to your mind when you think of of discipline is spanking, you need to expand your mind some. God has a lot of things. Um, Number two, here's a second principle. Our motive in discipline ought to be to profit our children. Or we're not much like our father. See, far too often our discipline is to vent our anger. Or how about this, to uh, uphold our image. Our kids do something in this setting, and everybody looks at you as a parent, so you feel compelled to do something. And instead of doing something that's for their profit, and I'm not implying they don't have something coming, what I'm saying is that we often instead do something for our image. That's not the way God disciplines. What God does is always in the interest of the child. And by the way, mark it down, what is best for the child is almost always tough on us. Here's the third principle. Discipline should not be pleasant for the recipient when it's going on. Or we're not much like our father. If they're laughing, if they're walking away thinking that wasn't bad, we didn't get our job done. If God calls his discipline grievous when it comes, listen, ours should be too. By the way, that's not an excuse for you to be abusive. That is not an excuse for you to be excessive. As you'll learn when we go through this, I am not for beating children. I am not for all this manhandling kids and dads throwing their boys all around. I I think that's ridiculous. That That is not discipline. By the way, mark it down. If it's grievous for the child when it's going on, it's going to be grievous for us for as a parent. And it should be no surprise when we think about the Bible that the book that's filled with the wisdom of God uh, also has information for us on this subject of discipline. Uh, Go back in your Bible to Proverbs 22. Because, I mean, this brings up a lot of good questions. How should I discipline my children? When should I discipline my children? Why should I discipline my children? I think if you know anything about history and you look at all around in the world around us, one of the conclusions you're going to say is that, you know what, the lack of discipline in in homes is really hurting our children and our culture. Talk to somebody who's been a school teacher for 30 years and listen to what they have to say. And, And a lot of that is the product of the lack of discipline in our homes. And so, I want to talk about a few reasons why. I mean, it ought to be enough that our Heavenly Father does this. But I want to 
just fuel and feed this idea that this is a really important aspect of our parenting. Why discipline your children? Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. It says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Here's the first reason why a child's nature is foolish. Attitudes, decisions, behavior of children come from their heart, their nature. And a child's nature, just like our nature as adults, it's fallen. See, in the Bible, the faith of a child is the model for faith, but the nature of a child is just like our nature. It's just that a child's fallen nature expresses itself in different ways than an adult's fallen nature. And we learn here that the rod of correction drives this foolishness out of a, out of a child. Discipline helps them battle their own fallen nature. And again, the rod of correction, that is not abuse. It's different from abuse, though this is a clear command that has a physical aspect to that. And yes, there are times when our children are young when our discipline should have a physical aspect. See, the implication here is that an undisciplined child will grow up and express more foolishness and more of their fallen nature than a child who has been properly disciplined, who has more of that foolishness driven out of their heart and life. Neither children nor adults are basically good. (laughs) Though children, when they're young, are innocent, adults are not. Neither children nor adults are basically good. We all have a sinful nature. We're all bent towards selfishness and pride. Listen to me. If you do not understand the basic nature of your child, you will never discipline them correctly and you will never discipline them well. That is very different from the basic assumption of modern psychology. You really better be careful what you believe coming out of the mouths of highly educated humanistic thinkers. Modern psychology holds that an individual is fundamentally good. Biblical Christianity holds that humans were created in the image of God, and man corrupted that image when he rebelled against God. Modern psychology holds that an individual is a product of their environment, and therefore someone's inadequacy are the result of his parents' inadequacies, their neighborhood's inadequacies, or blah, 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 blah. Biblical Christianity holds that we are solely and fully responsible for our sinful behavior. And it is only by accepting personal responsibility that anything gets fixed. Modern psychology holds a person can be, quote, saved through a process of therapy received by a properly trained counselor. By the way, if you won't be around me very long, and I recommend people get wise counsel often. But that's different from just a counselor. Biblical Christianity, of course, holds that salvation is through Christ. He is a wonderful counselor. I hope you understand that modern psychology, socialism, communism, they're all destined to fail because their basic assumption is false. The basic assumption behind socialism and communism is that human beings will work as hard for the good of the whole community as they would work for themselves or their family. That's a false premise. And so is modern psychology. It's built on a false premise. Proper discipline reduces but not eliminates the foolish decision and behavior our children will be involved in. Go back a few pages to Proverbs 17. The second reason why we should discipline. 
And by the way, there, I know nobody here wants this. Proverbs 17.25. Proverbs 17.25. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. A painful future awaits the parents of those who refuse to properly discipline their children. God, when he made the family, designed this link that is unbreakable. Whether we like it or not, for good or for bad, if our parents do well, the children do better. If the parents do poorly, the children do worse. That, that is an unbreakable link. We love it when the, when the parents are doing well and the children are lifted. We hate it when the parents are doing poorly and the children go down. It is an unbreakable link. And if you choose not to chasten your children... In the future, they're going to bring you more pain. Nobody who's sensible wants this. Turn up to Proverbs 23. I'm amazed at, at adults who seem to have no clue that what they're allowing their 5 and 7 and 12 year old to do is shaping the kind of teenager they're going to become and the kind of adult they're going to become and the kind of adult somebody's going to marry. I mean, it's so ridiculous how selfishly this is handled. Proverbs 23, verse 13. It says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell, which means discipline affects their eternal future. I mean, think about this. How is a child who's been taught that my parents don't do anything, that never correct my behavior, how well is that child going to respond to the fact that the Creator is a God who demands righteousness and obedience and will exact justice? Do, do, do you see how if we don't as parents create this idea in the mind and heart of a child that there's a loving authority figure who loves me unconditionally but brings the hammer down when I do what I'm not supposed to do, do, do you see how that, that causes them to be able to better relate to God? And that if we fail in that, we do. We make their spiritual life and relationship with God much more difficult. See, discipline isn't just about the moment, it's about the future. In fact, go up to Proverbs 29, and we'll close with this, because I only have two minutes. But in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. By the way, not giving the rod and reproof is like leaving a child to themselves. And when you properly discipline, you not only help them in their relationship with God, you help them have more wisdom and understanding in life. You see, the rod of correction not only drives foolishness from them, it adds wisdom, wisdom to them. Which brings up some logical questions like, what is a rod? I mean, five times in Proverbs, a rod is part of discipline do i treat boys differently than girls when do i start discipline when should i stop what kind of principles should guide me is physical discipline always the answer now those are uh 
uh, some complex questions in our, in our culture that's biased against biblical Christianity. It's complex in home that have a combination of biological parents and non-biological parents. It's complex in homes where divorced parents use children as pawns. It's complex when other close friends, even Christians, don't handle things like we do. And that's what we're going to spend our next two weeks talking about. Practically applying these basic uh, principles on discipline. I'm done. And so if you would just put out any questions you have or write something on that piece of paper and then put it up here, that would be a wonderful thing.